I'd like to welcome y'all to Secrets from the South. I'm your friend, Scotty Ray, along with my co-host, Terry. Now, you'll quickly catch on that we don't sound like the man on the 6 o'clock news. We talk a little slower, and we've got a southern drawl. But nonetheless, we've got a great podcast lined up just for you. We'll bring you some interesting stories. They're sometimes crazy and a little unbelievable. But it would be just plain impolite not to share them. So get yourself comfortable. Find some southern charm and a glass of iced tea and enjoy. For most people, this time of year is filled with happiness, good cheer, smiles, parties, and family get-togethers. But it's not that way with everyone. For many people, the holidays mean a lot of time alone and sadness. But it's always good to hear from someone who's gone through the same struggles that you have. This week's episode is titled, Life After Death, The Loss of a Child. So, Scotty... Everybody's getting excited about Christmas. They are. Man, it's exciting. And, you know, we're going to have some days off and everybody's going to be wrapping up those final gifts. And I don't know how Christmas parties are going to look this year. They may be different. And, you know, we've got relatives coming in or we're going somewhere. We've got to get the Christmas tree up, get the, the eggnog going and the hot chocolate. And we got all our Christmas movies and music yeah. and it's a great time but it's not for everybody no it's not you know there's there's people that have lost loved ones and, and we'll go that extra step there and say it's it's a child and the loss of a child at, at a time like this is just horrible for so many people well where some people look so forward to christmas and just holidays in general other people and we take this for granted, you know, for us who have lost loved ones, but I cannot fathom the loss of a child. How we think of Christmas as being something, obviously, to be thankful for, that we have our, you know, our Savior, and it's the birth of our Savior. And, but it's also bigger than that, and it's, we've commercialized it, and it's, and it is a good thing in a lot of ways, and it's bad in a, in, in a lot of other ways. But it is a time where people are gathering and uh, celebrating, and for others, they're just trying to get through it. They are. And we've invited some special guests with us this week to come in and discuss this that have been down this road of where a lot of people are. Maybe it's their first Christmas without their child, uh, and they're having very much a difficult time trying to deal with it. Or maybe it's 20 years, yeah, and they've learned to cope, but... As they'll explain that it's never the same. No. I mean, you never, ever get over it. You just learn to deal with it. And it's a void in your heart that's there forever. Now, we've got uh, a country music singer and songwriter coming in, Scott McQuaig. He's going to talk about his story. Uh, And that's a powerful one. Very much. He's written a couple of songs. We have Loanne that's going to come visit with us and talk about the death of her son that she lost. Right. And we have Ray Andriacchio that's going to be in talking about the death of her son. And and that is, you know, on a national level, so many people know about her situation of losing her son. And she's reached because so many people know about that and relate uh, to her case. And she's going to tell what it's like of of being a mother with all of this publicity going around and, you know, talking how you deal with that. Yeah, and just how anybody deals with, you know, whether they're known or unknown, just the dealing with the death of your child. And when you, 
you're grieving, or, or let's just talk about people that are just lonely in general. They have no family. They have lost family. And when we get giddy about the Christmas holidays, you have people out there that, you know, sometimes you, th- you take pause and you think about these people, and then sometimes they never enter your mind. And it's just selfish of us to think that, you know, we live in our own little bubble, our own little cocoon, and there are other people out there that are struggling during this time. And I think if that does anything, it, it ought to cause us to take pause and to reach out to people during this time, and just, especially with COVID, and just to say, I'm thinking about you, love you. Is there anything that you can do? Some people are in total isolation just because they're old, just because they live by themselves, they have no relatives, just because they've lost a loved one, and then in this case, they've lost a child. So right now, Scotty, we're going to introduce our first guest, and that's the person that you talked about that is a well-known country artist, singer-songwriter that lives right here in our own community, Scott McQuick. Scott, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Scott, how do we get into this? How do we begin this? It's one of those things that always happens to somebody else. You know, you don't, it is. You don't think it will happen to you. You know, your kids, you worry about them every time they walk out the door. You know, you do. So uh, that never goes away. For the folks who don't know Scott McQuaig, he's a country singer and songwriter. You and I touched on this one time before of you pretty much have to put on that old instamatic smile, whether you're in a right. good mood or bad mood to entertain others, because your job is to make people feel good and feel happy inside. Yeah, it's hard to uh, sometimes to to feel like that, and you've got things bothering you, going on stage and trying to put that away long enough. Put on a show like you're supposed to. Yeah, it's, it's pretty tough sometimes. Scott, give me an example of a time or two when you had to take the stage. When you either got some bad news or, or something was bothering you real bad. Well, there's a couple of them, but one that my best friend, Stephen Henderson, um, was my hunting buddy and everything. And, and we had been hunting on a Friday, and uh, he actually uh, got a deer. We cleaned it and went home, and I watched him drive off, turn off on his road, and I went home and. He got up the next morning and um, did some stuff around the house and was getting ready to go hunting again. He's going to lay down and take a nap at, at lunch. And uh, he laid down and never woke up. Massive heart attack, 49 years old. It was just a you know, terrible, terrible shock. We already had a, uh, a gig for that night. I ended up doing it. I just knew Steve wouldn't want me to do it for one thing, but also... I just felt like if I could get in there and get behind that guitar and play and sing, it would make help me make it through the day, you know, right. and the night. It was really tough and really, really strange to have that in the back of my head the whole time that I was singing and playing. He was on my mind strong, you know. And, and then the other time uh, was when Hunter died, my son, and we didn't play for two or three weeks after that, you know, and we canceled everything for a while, but we finally decided to, to play a job, and it was, uh, it was really strange being on stage knowing that, that he wasn't here. Of course, never done that before. Right. Besides when, before he was born. But at the same time, it was kind of a way to help me get through. Now, for those who, who don't know, what, what happened to your son? 
a car accident on the way to work. He worked up in Philadelphia, Mississippi, and it happened right there in Collinsville. We think that um, somebody had pulled over to get and got in the left lane, and at the at the last minute changed their mind and pulled back in front of him. He swerved and hit a hit you know oncoming car collision, and both him and the other guy died. It was just uh, 24 years old, you know. Kelly, my wife, that's the way she goes to work through Collinsville to Philadelphia, and and she came by on the way to work and saw the car and knew that that it was Hunter. She called me uh, and said, Hunter's been in a bad wreck. She said, I don't know anything. I came up on the car, why everything. They had already taken him, but they were getting in the car and all that kind of stuff. And she knew then that, that he had died, but she didn't tell me. Over yeah, the phone would be right. tough so to get that kind of news. When I got to the hospital, I could tell when, when she walked out that that he didn't make it. Me and you've talked about this before. I called you not long after that, after Hunter had passed away, to, to give you some cheer. And after I hung up with you, Scott, I walked away with – the best feeling I've ever had. You made me feel good. I have never in my life spoken to someone who had lost someone that was so close to them that you brought me up instead of me bringing you up. And and I want you to explain that. Well, only thing I can say is um, if I wasn't a Christian, if I didn't know the Lord, I don't know how I could have made it through that day. Of course, I had my family there and my wife and but I don't know how I would have ever come to grips with it in my mind. And I just remember that day, even through the sorrow and the shock of it all, and, and, and people coming over the house, bringing food and everybody there for support. It's kind of like a dream. You know, you think it's a bad dream. Right. And you kind of forget about it for a second or two, then it comes back. That's not a dream. This is the thing that got me through it was that I kept thinking, and I was amazed by this fact that that hunter was standing in the presence of jesus of, of god and he was actually there getting to see jesus and that, that just blew me away it gave me a peace of mind that he was okay if you can put it that way yeah you can and uh that's the, that's the thing that got me through it i think i mentioned to you before i think when something happens to this like this to someone it's either going to drive you away from God or bring you close. And in this case, I thought of myself as a fairly good Christian, I guess you could say. This made me even more closer. And you have a lot of questions sometimes about what happens. We do. It makes me think like, okay, what happened like when he died? So I'd go to the Bible and, and look and see what happens when things I never had really thought about a lot before. Right. I mean, I knew that. You know, we went to heaven, but it just made me just cling to God and want to be closer to him. Now, you mentioned a moment ago that through all of this that you wrote a song. And I want you to tell us about the name of the song and how you wrote it and how it came to be. We lost Hunter Died. That's that's something else I was going to say. Um, I had sometimes for a while, and I still have a hard time saying Hunter died. Right. Uh, I try to make it easier to myself, I guess. I say, when we lost Hunter or, or when Hunter passed away, and sometimes I, I still try to say that. 
instead of saying the truth. I mean, I mean, Hunter died. Try to stay away from that died word or dead word, you know, yeah. death word. I've come to accept it even more. Hunter died in November. The leaves were falling, turning colors, you know, and I backed out of the driveway one day and, and saw this maple tree in our yard, and the leaves were pretty, and they were starting to turn a beautiful color. And I said, well, it won't be long. The leaves will fall. And I, I remember when Hunter died, I loved the fall year, you know. And I said, I wonder how I'm going to feel every fall. This is going to be a bad time for me every year when it start, the weather starts changing. Is it going to be bad? Well, it hasn't. It's been wonderful, actually. But I said to myself when I was backing out that day, well, the leaves are turning. It won't be long. They're going to fall. And that was basically the first line of the song. And uh, so I worked on the song. Uh, but it was, it's about just how fast time goes by, how a day is like a thousand years, or a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. That's in uh, Psalm 90th chapter, fourth verse. And it's also in Second Peter 3, 8. says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And Psalm 90, verse 4 says, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. So you had all this going through your head, and you sat down, and did you write this in a day, two hours? How long did it take you to do it? Well, actually, it took me about a year. I wrote the first, maybe the first two verses, I think. But I didn't want to finish the, the song just for the sake of finishing it. Right. You know, I wanted to really say what the feeling I was having instead of just coming up with some kind of clever line or something. You know, and, I mean, but God was, was helping me, you know, and, and that's where it came from. So it's like, it's got to be right because he's sending it down to me. I don't want to just do a mediocre song or, or just be satisfied with getting finished with it, you know, for the sake of finishing it. And the first two verses said so much exactly what I was wanting to say. I wanted to make sure the third part, or however I finished it, I wasn't sure how I was going to finish it yet, but it had to stand up to the rest of it. That next spring when all the colors started coming out, like the wisteria and dogwood and flowers and all that, is where the third verse came from because it says something about the colors are changing, colors come and go. It actually took me from fall to spring to finish it. And, and and you know as you say in God's eyes that's just the blink of an eye. And it, oh yeah. Just, well, would you mind doing the song for us? Because you know it's it is a beautiful song. If no one has ever heard this, sit back and take this in because it touches so many people, Scott. Well, thank you. I'd love to do it. Yeah. Okay, let's do that. Okay. Well, the trees. Trees are turning And you know it won't be long The leaves will fall And then one morning You just wake up and they're gone Empty place around the table 
number still in my phone Though it seems like it will be forever Won't be long Got a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And I wonder if they're ever waving to us for a time. Do we just fade away? It don't really matter If I'm right or wrong If I have to Wait a lifetime It won't be long Won't be long, cause 30 years is gone in a minute The world seems smaller now, the sky looks kind of different It won't be long in this place I don't belong It's not my home It won't be long Colors come and go And before I know There's less in front of me Than behind You think the tears have all gone dry But then they fill up in my eyes Every time I have to tell someone goodbye Won't be long, cause 30 years is gone in a second. The world seems stranger now, and the sky not so distant. Won't be long in this place I don't belong, it's not my home. Won't be long, this journey that we're on. Scott McQuaig, and it won't be long, and uh, a psalm that you wrote after experiencing the loss of a loved one. Let me ask this, Scott. 
what advice do you give to someone who is going through the experience now who's just lost a child or, or someone that's just really close to them? Because, you know, the holidays, is tough on that. That's a hard question. Uh, everybody takes it different, I guess. I mean, like I said before, if I didn't, if I hadn't known the Lord, I don't know what I'd have done. Jesus took the sting of death away from us by dying on the cross for us and defeating death. He did that for us. Yes, he did. So you've got to keep that in mind because he defeated death and did his work. Got His work is done. He's sitting at the right hand of God. If you trust in him, death does not have a sting to it. Sure, I mean, you're going to miss people. But some, some of those, we know our parents are, are going to go one day. Our grandparents will all go through this. But when something like this happens, when it's just a tragic, you know, it's really hard. I just know I'm going to see him again. That's, that's, and it won't be long. That's, that's what takes me through it. In, in my gospel songs, I write gospel songs. Most of the time, if I haven't started with a scripture or something, by the end of the song or, or halfway through it, the Lord will lead me to a scripture this song kind of started with a thousand years is like a day and days is like a thousand years. But this third verse, one thing I realized about it was when Jesus was getting ready to raise Lazarus. Verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. John eleven thirty fifth verse. You know, Jesus was getting ready and he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he still cried. He was sad. I guess he was sad. For his friends around him, he was friends with Lazarus' sister and all that, and they were mourning, so he hurt for them, and Lazarus was his friend. So he had genuine, I think, grief that his friend had died. Even though he knew that he was getting ready to raise him from the dead and give the glory to God, I realized that. Uh, And the the last verse of the song is talking about the tears. You think they're all dried up, and then... You have to tell somebody goodbye again, you know. And, and it hits hard, doesn't it? Yeah, I, even in any situation. But your friends, you know, that you lose or someone's family member, even if it's a grandfather, a grandmother, somebody that, you know, is older, you still see the grief that families go through when they lose a loved one, even though we know, hopefully, uh, we know they're in, for Christians, we know they're, they're in heaven, but it's still, you miss them and it hurts. Yeah, absolutely and but that's the only thing that gets me through is i'm you know i know i'm going to be with him again you know and, and it's going to be so glorious we can't even we don't even we can't comprehend how wonderful heaven is going to be we can't it's not in our brain to yeah. even figure out i know he's up there and man i know he's having a, a blast this is another thing too you hear so many people I don't I don't know Hunter is in heaven because he was a good person. You know, it's not I don't think he's in heaven cause, just cuz he was a good person. He had a huge heart. He would do anything for anybody and he was kind, but that's not the reason Hunter is in heaven. Hunter made the decision to accept Jesus as a savior when he was 8 years old. And this is not something we prompted. He just it, Came to us and told us, you know, at the time that, that he wanted, you know, to be saved. It's not anything that we were, you know, kind of urging him and pushing him towards. You know, it, this totally was his idea. 
So I know it was genuine, and I know that he's in heaven. And, you know, and the unique thing about all this is if you want that peace, it's as simple as asking for it, isn't it? It's it that is. simple. That's all you got to do is accept, accept Jesus. Some of us wait a little longer than others. Some of us, as you know, you go back to the cross when Jesus was just about to be. All right. The thief on the cross. Yeah, and said, it was seconds, I would imagine. Yeah. He said, the day you will be with me in paradise. You know? And that does bring happiness. That gives you peace. If you'd like to know more about Scott, uh, visit scottmcquigmusic.com. You've got all types of music to help people get through. And, Scott, if you'll hang on, I'm going to get you to come back. We've got some more folks that we're going to talk to that's been through this struggle. Okay. And I want you to come back in just a few minutes and uh, do some more singing with us. I'll do it. Our next guest is Miss Loanne Moore, who has also lost a child. Each of the people that we're talking to today have lost a child in a different way. It was 1996 when Loanne lost her son. Loanne, does it ever get better after all this time? You know, there's times that it seems like it's been forever, and then there's certain times that the pain is so real that, like, it's just happened. So... You know, I guess it just depends on the day, really. So it, it, do you think of it daily, or does it become a, a smile to you that you – What? how do you feel at this point when you think back um, on it? Yes, it's actually – It's. I think about the accident every day because it happened on a route that I have to travel every single day when I go into town. So there's not a day that don't go by that I don't go by that place. And for a minute, split second, ever how long – I think of the day that I lost him. Well, let's back up. Tell me, tell me what happened so I can understand okay. what, what went on. Um, it was in September. I had picked him up. It was his first day of karate. And what was his name? Colton Cruz Smith. And I had picked him up from karate, and we were going to go to the grocery store, and we was going to head home. It was a carload of kids in the turn lane. We wasn't going but about 25 miles an hour. They changed their mind and come back over into my lane and forced me into the telephone pole. Well, this happened at a time that I was not aware of not having them in the front seat um, where the airbags was. The airbag deployed on him and me, and it broke his neck, um, causing a cerebral hemorrhage to the brain. It fractured my arm and, of course, done up my face, but it happened right there. So I travel that path every single day. But you're right. That there was a time when we really didn't know about airbags mm-hmm. and and what they could do mm-hmm. to you. And you know, it, they, you people say, "Well, it's seatbelt." This it, it really, if he, he was, but even if he hadn't have been, this was at a time where how many of us jump in the car, ride to the store, not put our seatbelt on back then? We wasn't right. aware of then as now. So nobody gets in the car, whether they have their children bouncing around in the car, whatever, even to this day, they don't get in the car saying, I'm going to, you know, kill my son or child if I have a wreck. Now, how old was he? He was five. It was five. Was this, uh, did it, was it instant or did he, did he? Well, let me, it, it was really strange. We had the accident and I looked over, he was in the front, I looked over and he had slumped over. So I was doing my best to get out to get him, to get to him. And there was a carload of kids. They all run except for one. Um, and he stood up on the hill, and I can see him. I'd never figured out, never knew his name or anything. But I could see vividly him watching as I took him out of the out of the van. And I held him, and I remember looking up, and I screamed, Daddy, why? And I meant, like, why did you come back over on me? 
and tears, I could see that tears was just rolling down his face. But to this day, I don't know who these kids were. I don't know. I didn't press charges. They were intoxicated. I, but they didn't get in the car that day saying that I'm going to go kill somebody. Right. So I didn't pursue that avenue because that, at that point, and it's still, that's not something I think was important. You don't I, regret not pressing charges? Absolutely, on? I do not. Because that child, that young man, I'm not sure how old he was, I'm sure that as he is imprinted in my, in my mind, I am imprinted in his. And that's something that I'm sure he has to deal with every day. And not that I want him to be in, in pain or in suffering, but hopefully he learns something from that. I mean, I don't, I don't wish him having to wake up and be in any kind of torture. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying I, I feel like that, that would have been enough, him right. having to watch this. But anyway, we'll go to the emergency room. My faith at this time, and still is, my walk with the Lord was extremely close during this time. And I guess I look back, and I think it was probably the closest time I've ever had a walk with him was during this time, before and after. So we got to the ER, and people just started flooding in. You know how the word kind of, right. you know, it gets out. Well, people started, I mean, there was prayers. I mean, there was churches that, that gathered, that shut down, that started praying. And Dr. Greer could not pronounce him dead. I know now it was like he could not be the one to tell me, Loanne, he's not coming back. So he decided to uh, send us to the university in Jackson. I remember that ride was the longest ride. They transported him by ambulance, and I rode in a car behind. That seemed like the longest ride I have ever taken in my life. It was, I can't describe the feeling from here to Jackson. And we were there for three days. And during that three days, I was believing that he was going to raise my son. I mean, that you could not tell me any different. That's just where I was at. You know, he's going to give him back to me. However, I also prayed, if you can't give him back to me wholly, because he was a rambunctious little boy. Right. He liked to ride his bike. He loved the outdoors. And I said, if you can't give him back to me like that, then I don't want him back. Because that would be just selfish in me. Well, I prayed. I said, Lord, let me get through it. But it's hard to talk about it and not cry. Um, oh, I'm sure. The amount of love and support that this town showed me and my family was unbelievable. I did not speak this because I did not want anyone to know what was in my mind and that I had already prayed to the Lord that in three days, if you didn't give him back to me, then I would let him go. Well, the third day come around and he didn't. That was the hardest day of my life because I had to turn the machine off. I had to because he was hooked up to it. And that was another moment in my life that was just, it's so vivid and imprinted that it was just, it seems like just today. It's, it doesn't ever seem like it's been that long. And um, I turned the machine off and then we, we come back to Meridian and had, you know, the funeral and... Um, at his funeral, I sung Midnight Cry. That is a, that's a song that very holds really dear in my heart. It was so many people, they could not fit us in the sanctuary. They were all outside. I, half of these people, I did not even know. I don't know who they were, where they come from. And still to this day, I don't, I don't have a clue, but it was overwhelmingly a lot of people. But 10 people were saved at his funeral that day. Oh, that's wonderful. I can say this now. It was kind of hard then because I did have a 
discussion with the good Lord when I got home. You know, it's that, that at that point I didn't care how many lives that it changed or how many souls were saved, that this was my baby and I was left. Everybody goes on about their business, you know, but you never realize what happens then. You know, I'm left to pick up the pieces, to pack his clothes, to put his toys away. And I was doing that. And I, I remember kind of getting really angry with him at this point because I'm like, in my mind, I was thinking, I believed you. I know that you could give him back to me. Why didn't you? And I could never get an answer right then, but he quickened to my spirit. And it was almost like I could hear hear him say to me, are you any better than I? I give my only son to a world that doesn't even, most doesn't even recognize him. There's a lot of truth to that. So tell me this, for someone who is going through this and is, is having trouble dealing with it, what, what, because you've been there, you've walked their shoes, what is your word to them? What, what advice can you give someone that's going through a troubled time during this? The only thing I can say is draw close to the good Lord. Jesus is the only thing that got me through this. And I know no matter if it's been six months, if it's been 24 years, it, it's still painful and hurts to, to, to go back to that moment. It does. It does. But um, it'll be okay. Each one of our guests have a different story to tell, a way that they lost their child. And our third guest is totally different from everyone else. Most people have probably heard of the case by now. Justice for Christian, Christian Andy Rocchio. There was a huge podcast that brought Christian's death to the spotlight, entitled Cupable. Today, Ray Andriacchio shares her story as a mother to help someone else cope with the loss of a child. Ray, thanks for coming in. Well, thanks for asking me to come speak. Ray, we'd like for you to share your story today in hopes that it will help someone else during their struggling time that's lost a child. And there are many people that have lost a child that don't know what happened, much like you. Let's start with what happened to your son. Uh, this has been how many years now? It'll be seven years in February. Ray, I'd like to take a different approach of this. We'd like to know how it felt as a mother, the struggles that you went through. Now, you had a chance to talk to your son the morning of his death, didn't you? Right. That morning, I had called Christian, and just we were actually talking about going to a concert and trying to come up with dates that he would be home and he could attend and... He was busy at work, said he had to get off the phone, so it was a very short phone call, uh, you know, talk to you later, and that was kind of how it was ended. All right, Ray, let me ask this. If you could step back in time, that last phone conversation you had with him, would you handle it differently? Would you say something differently? Would there be absolutely anything that you would change about it? Um. Well, I don't know that there was anything different I would have said on that phone call because it was, I mean, it couldn't be a lengthy phone call, and we were talking about what we like doing. I mean, you know, we we go to, he was my concert buddy. Right. And so it was, we was making plans, and we, quite frankly, we were talking um, instead of texting, and he ended the phone call, love you, talk to you later. I, of course, I've been very open about the fact that he and I were not in a good place in our relationship up to that point because of some conflict over the girl, you know, he was dating. But your mom, and you got to look out for your kids. Right. Well, exactly. And I was probably, you know, um, being overly protective and not wanting, you know, to see my child hurt or taken advantage of. 
So, you know, again, that we were speaking and that we were actually talking and not texting. I think in this day and age, parents have relied too much on text and things can be taken out of context through text because you don't know the tone and you don't know how where somebody may be making a sarcastic comment or or a a joke the person on the other end may read it totally different and feelings can be heard and there can be miscommunication so i think that what I learned from the situation was, you know, talk to your kids and don't just text everything and, um, you know, hear their voice and let them hear your voice and, and know the feelings behind that. And then later that evening, uh, my husband and I were out eating and we get a phone call from his father where the police have contacted him and told him that one of our children has been in an, is well, actually, he didn't tell us what had happened. He just said something really bad has happened to one of the kids. You need to come home. And so we, um, you know, went home. And, of course, the drive from Meridian to Delwood was going back and forth about which child, you know, is right. eliminating. You know, we know our daughter's at church and, and all. And and you get there, and, and what happens next? Um, we went to his father's, uh, my father-in-law's home, who lives in Delwood also. And he, you know, told us that... Christian had committed suicide and that the police had contacted him. And quite honestly, I picked up my purse and stood up and said, well, they don't know what they're talking about because I just talked to Christian this morning. He's in New Orleans. He's on the boat. Is somebody else, you know, wasn't him. I mean, and literally we left. And I, you know, I really wasn't that concerned. And that may have been denial, but I was just kind of like, I wonder who in the world this is that they think is in the apartment and of course we started trying to call christian because i wanted you know to say well hey there's somebody in your apartment and you know what's going on then you know we waited and then the police actually came to our home and i even told them when they told me that uh, about christian i said well you're wrong it's not him and they um, gave me his driver's license now is that when it hits you that this could possibly be your son I mean, yes, to some degree. I would say at that point, if I had to gauge it, I'd say I was 75% on board, you know, right. with what they were saying was true. I called my brother, Christian, uh, Christian, Chris, told him you need to get to the apartment. You know, they're saying that, that Christian has been shot. And I said, I, I want somebody to, who knows him, to to verify that. And I was upset. I was very upset, of course, and and crying, and I'd say probably borderline hysterical. But still, there was that doubt that they really knew what they were talking about because I just kept saying, you know, I just talked to him. I just talked to him. So Now, at what point does does it change when reality really hits you that this is 100% my child? When does that happen? When Chris calls me and tells me that it's true. Now, at that moment, for someone who is listening, who this has happened to, how would you describe your your feeling of that? What what emotional? What went through you? Uh, is it where you fall down, you cry, you scream? How, how did you feel? Well, for some reason, this is a very odd thing, but I went in my closet and I remember being on the floor, and. Um, some of my uh, friends came over and, of course, came in there. And um, 
I remember I just kept saying I have three kids. I don't have two. I have three kids. And um, I think that even then, this whole time, it's been, I didn't want people to forget Christian. And I think immediately it was like, you know, he's still here. It's not just because he, he may be deceased doesn't take away that he's my child. Ray, is this one of those moments to where you're mad, you're upset, and you even question God, why would you take my child? What are you doing? Why is this happening to me? I think that, you know, everybody goes through that grief process at different stages, different ways. I think that, um, yes, I was, you know, angry with my religion, my beliefs. Um, My grandmother uh, was probably the most religious person I've ever known, the most devout person. And um, I've always said I wished I had that, you know, that that, um, belief, that devotion, that I could just accept whatever happened and say it's God's will. And um, she she was very close to Christian. Christian, we lived close to her for most of Christian's life. And so... She was very close to him, and I can remember going and telling her, and her saying, she never blinked, never paused. She just said, well, God let us have him for 21 years. And there was a calmness about her. And, um, you know, and I, I just have never been able to achieve that calmness. And I'm picturing this as you're describing in the closet of being so upset. What gave you the strength? Because I know it didn't get better the next day or the next day. What was it that gave you the strength to pull yourself together and and get back up and begin what you did? I think that it was, um, I'm very goal-oriented, and I have to have kind of a mission or a goal. And I think the immediately, once the shock had worn off, I mean, really even... I mean, even that day, even that night, I was already going, you know, saying this isn't right. I mean, I was already telling, you know, sending, telling Chris, get his car keys, get his phone, get his, you know, almost protecting him already and already trying to start making sure that things were done right, even though they, you know, they ended up not being done right and me being an amateur uh, detective and, right. and, and you know, within hours having lost your child, being told you've lost your child. And then even just worrying about your surviving children, you know, bringing my, my oldest son was working on the tugboat also. Um, you know, call, Chris became my go-to person. You know, I was calling him saying, get Josh. Josh has got to, um, you know, get home. He doesn't need to be by himself when he hears this because he was very close to Christian. Again, my daughter was 14 at the time, making sure she was home. I wanted everybody home. Correct. You, know, you kind of circle the wagons, and you want everybody to be home. I think that because of the situation surrounding Christian's death and the questions and all, that probably gave me a focus that a lot of maybe parents who lose their children in different other circumstances that are more straightforward, whether it's a car accident or you know, not knowing what the last moments were like, you know, not knowing whether or not 
Um, he knew what was going on. Um, not knowing, you know, Christian had a laceration on his nose, on the bridge of his nose, that we know he didn't have when he got off the boat. Private investigators and, invest- and different people, experts, tell you, well, you know, he was probably hit over the nose with something that stunned him. And, and, you know, given all these theories and you're thinking, you know, well, he was in pain and he was hurting and, um, you know, somebody uh, posted on some social media site um, that, you know, they were there with Christian when he died and he was begging somebody to help him. And, um, you know, knowing that that's probably somebody just kind of, trying to get attention right. but still there's that that you know yeah. in your back of your mind like are they you know is this a real person is this somebody who really was there and um you know and knows and you know just things that a mother should not have to necessarily contemplate in the middle of the night let me ask this for for a person that is going through this right now what would you describe during this episode of the time you found out what was your darkest hour what was it that that you encountered that you think, I cannot get through this, your, your weakest moment of it. Wh- where was that? And then what was the turning point that brought you out of that, that you go, yes? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I would describe as my weakest moment as far as, um, I mean, I think the whole first year was, you know, kind of a daze. And I, I, I think that um, any parent, or most parents that lose a child, there's that. Of course, you start questioning, especially if you lose them unexpectedly. Um, it isn't, when I say unexpectedly, meaning it's not, they don't have a chronic illness where you're preparing for. Correct. You know, I say, you know, if it's a car wreck or it's something that is a, a violent act that you're, you know, you think you're, you've got all the time in the world and you've got, you know, plenty of time to say what needs to be said um you think that if your child is in a bad relationship or with you know well he's gonna wake up one day and he's gonna move on and then we'll be back to how we were you know um so when that time is taken away from you and those opportunities are taken away from you i think it takes uh, like i said it was probably the first year that you know, I would sit there and, oh, I, you know, critique my parenting skills and critique all the things I could have done differently. And, um, and you know, we all could do so much, many things differently as parents. And hindsight's twenty twenty. There were days where I mentioned before that, you know, there was a bridge that when I was driving home, I think, well, you know, I could hit that bridge and... Uh, and then I'd, you know, start the pros and cons of, well, it might not kill me or it might, you know, paralyze me and then my family would have to take care of me. And so, um, you know, those days go by. And, you know, my advice to anybody is find something to focus on that gives you purpose. Now, did you find that in your other children? Was it a, a, a hobby or did it turn to where you thought, I need to bring light to this case in case this were to happen to somebody else, that this would help them? The first year, I think the focus was Magnolia Sun. We, we established a nonprofit uh, in Christian's memory, and um, it was to 
to honor Christian but to help people. And I think that that's always a good thing when you're you're helping other people but you're also honoring the person, you know, that that and of course Magnolia Sun had a lot of significance for us for various reasons because the first year or even probably year and a half I still believed in the system and I still felt that it was just a matter of time before Christian's case was investigated properly, that I just needed to get it in front of the right person, that we just needed the right agency involved. I had not become so disillusioned, I guess, at that point. And so I was still had hope, and I still, I mean, it really wasn't even hope. It was just a belief that, well, eventually there will be the right person who will do the right thing. And... Um, it was probably probably 18 to 24 months before, I guess, I realized that wasn't going to happen. And so by that time, Magnolia's son was up and, you know, functioning. We were um, raising money, and um, we our, our goal or our mission was the first year was to give 50 pairs of shoes away to underprivileged children and to give, well, that was actually our first goal the first year. Then the second year, we, we increased it to 75 pairs of shoes, and we started a college scholarship. And so we've given away four $5,000 college scholarships over the last four years, and we now give away 150 pairs of shoes a year. We give 75 pair uh, before uh, school starts, and then we'll give 75 pair at Christmas time. And so, you know, doing fundraisers and always, you know, putting Christian out there as this is the reason we're doing this and having people hear his story, not about his death, but about his life, you know, and about that he gave his shoes away to underprivileged children as he bought a new pair. That was just something he did from a young age. It was something that I, that I guess we instilled in our children that, you know, you give your outgrown clothes and shoes to people who are less fortunate than you. How would someone that wants to get involved with Magnolia's son do that, to to give a contribution or to find out more about it? We have, on Magnolia's son, we have a Facebook page, Magnolia's son, um, and then we have um, a a website, uh, magnoliasun.com, and it's S-O-N, not S-U-N. I think there's a PayPal-type situation there where you can donate or you can send me a message and I can give you the address. You know, we sell plates and we do different fundraisers, and then people have graciously donated money over the years. And that's always heartwarming to know that people support um, Magnolia Son because I, I equate that to your supporting Christian if you're supporting Magnolia Son. Now, and let me, you, um, each year you still celebrate uh, his birthday. and, and yes. yes, wishing night. And, uh, you know, I, I had a chance this year to attend that at your home, and, and I do appreciate the invite. It was, it was gorgeous. And y'all release the balloons uh, that go out at night on that. That is, it's, it's hard to stand there to watch that go up. It, it really touched me. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, something that just kind of evolved. I don't. No, I think the the lanterns are called wishing lanterns, and so I just kind of, after the first year, it became wishing night. You know, every year it's uh, 
we have a BK can try to make it personable to you know personal to Christian and something that he would it symbolizes things about his life. We open it to whoever wants to come, and it's a lot of people come not just because of Christian, but they come because they've lost a parent or a child, you know, whatever. And it's a way for them to mem- remember their loved one too that they've lost. Yeah, it, it's we had almost the perfect night as far as weather this year was the first time and the seven years we've done it so you know and, and i've heard a lot about you and all this through the years but you know it's never jumped out at me uh, at the same time that you were dealing with your grief you were a doctor and you also have to listen to other people's problems to help them how how did you deal with that i i'm, I'm how do you get up and go to work with your issue and then sit down with somebody else and remain calm and help them or was that your therapy what how did you how did you go through that? Well, let me correct you and just say I'm a nurse okay. practitioner. I don't want anybody out there to say, Oh, she's putting her does saying she's a doctor. I'm a nurse practitioner, a psychiatric nurse practitioner. But yeah, I um I think that a lot of people came to me because they did know I had lost a child and they had lost a child and they uh, you know, people who referred them to me felt that I could relate to them and maybe it's almost like someone who goes to drug rehab. Almost, you know, nine times out of ten, the people who are working with them are recovering addicts or alcoholics themselves because they feel like, you know, only that person understands the struggle that I have to not use. I think it was kind of that, I'm not saying that it was a correct (laughs) mentality, but it was kind of that mentality of, you know, Ray will know what they feel like. Ray can relate to them more because she's, she's been there, done that, you know, lost someone, a child. You know, at times it was difficult because I might have related a little too much to their situation and it probably wasn't very therapeutic for me. It probably was, therapeutic for them and then i think that other times it was very i mean you know there's always a saying that there's always somebody who has it worse than you and i'll never forget having seeing a patient who had lost three children in three different situations not like one time in a car accident it was like one child had died one year then another child had died like a year later then another and all of them were in very tragic Situations. I mean, it wasn't like through illness or it was like, you know, anyway, I won't even give examples. But, and I remember telling her because my kind of approach to those situations is just to be honest about my situation and say, I, I don't try to hide the fact that I've lost a child or that, you know, I don't have, there's days I don't have good days and there's days I cry at night, obviously, even now. And, um, so, but I, I told her, I said, well, I, you probably did more for me today than I did for you because I've lost one child, you've lost three. And I can't imagine, I mean, one just about did me in. I mean, you know, losing one. And if I lost a second one, you know, I, I just, I can't imagine surviving that. And, you know, she was still getting up and, and, and going. And, um, you know, yes, she was very depressed, but understandably so. So I think that in that situation, it was a, you know, I told her, I said, I feel like, I, you know, I need to pay you, not you pay me to see, you know, because you're helping me as much as I'm helping you. 
every situation is unique. Sometimes it was beneficial and sometimes it wasn't. But, you know, I think you hit on something there. If you think you're having a bad day, there's always somebody that's got it just a little bit worse. I, I worked with a gentleman one time that lost two sons 10 years apart in car wrecks within one mile of each other where the accidents happened, and they were both going to church when the accidents happened. It, it, you know, it makes no sense. And, you know, you sit down and you talk with him, and he'll make you feel good about it. You know, he, he goes, you know, it was their time. God chose for them to go home to be in glory. And he'll just, you'll leave with a smile after talking with him. But not everybody can do that. This has uh, different effects on different humans. We're all human is what I'm trying to put out, and it affects us so differently. And you probably know more about that than, than anybody with your line of work. Yes, I mean, I, I know that there was a, 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 someone I, I knew and saw that had, had lost a child prior to, you know, me losing Christian. And, um, you know, sh- she contacted me after uh, Christian died and said, I just don't know how you, you, get, you do it. I mean, you're going to work. And you, because she, you know, she was one of those people who stayed in bed and, and you know, and didn't work and, and it really just couldn't function. Right. And, you know, it's like I told her, everybody deals with it differently. I deal with it by working. I mean, it, 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 it and, and again, having kind of a goal of something I was working toward. You know, I've always worked probably too much, and so that was kind of my escape was, well, let's keep working. And and in my line of work, you're helping people by working, so it was kind of like you're getting that out of it, too, of I can help other people. And, you know, even with the kids, because 90% of the people I see are children. I've told people many times that I would almost say every day, I talk literally every day because I work seven days a week. I talk to someone who's suicidal every day. Ninety percent of those people are kids. For me to be able to say, I've lost my child, and um, you know, you, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't to suicide, but I lost my child, and you need to think about the ripple effect of your death. If you leave, you know, the hospital today and you decide to commit suicide, you need to think about your parents, your your siblings, your friends. That you just don't know what your life, who you're impacting. Just like we talk about the ripple effect of Christian in a positive sense, and that all the kids that we've touched through Magnolia Sun, the the people that we've given scholarships to. His spirit has has impact. His story on Couple has you know I get messages every day on Facebook saying I've listened to podcast every day or I've watched you know whatever every day. But your son, I've never cried over someone's story or I've never not been able to get somebody out of my mind the way I can't get him out of his you know his his, his spirit out of my mind. And, you know, he continues to touch people. Chris has oftentimes, when he's talked about Magnolia Sun, talked about the ripple effect in the positive way. It's the same way in, a, in, in the, I say a negative way, but the same way of his death. You focus on maybe, you know, me or the mother. You know, well, Ray lost her child. Well, Alexa lost a brother, and Josh lost a brother, and 
you know, Tyler, Chris's son, lost a, a cousin. And, you know, there's Christian had, you know, some his friends that they lost this person that was important to them. And you don't realize how many people one person impacts until something like this happens. I mean, I, I, I've told a story before where it had been, it, I mean, it had probably been six months, nine months, may have even been a year after Christian um, died. Todd saw this elderly man who lived out in the Lauderdale area, and he asked Todd, well, where's Christian been? You know, he didn't know that Christian, you know, had, had died. Todd said, well, you know, he passed away, ever how long ago it was, and he said, well, I knew he hadn't come by my house. He said he used to come by my house every few months and just sit on the porch and talk to me and visit and say, okay, i got to go. Now, this is somebody who was not a family member. He wasn't, I wouldn't say, a family friend. I mean, right. we didn't really even know this guy. He just kind of, by you know, Todd knew who he was. You know, he just said that Christian would stop by and talk to him because he knew that he was by himself and didn't really have any family. For a 20-year-old to do that, you know, this guy who he really doesn't have any contact with just because he knew that he was by himself, it's to me, spoke volumes of who Christian was. Well, does that, does that make you smile inside, I'm sure? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, that he went out of his way to, to do that and to, uh, for no, you know, he never came home and said, oh, yeah, I'm going, he wasn't doing it to get any attention or whatever. I mean, I, we never knew anything about that. And there were, there were, you know, multiple people who came and said things like that. Well, he did this for me or... I, you know, I didn't, I was down and out, and he came by and took me out or whatever. It was just, he was just one of those people who looked after people. And let me ask, our age of where you and I grew up, there was no such thing as the Internet. There was there was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. And this, I would say probably today's world, this, when somebody passes away, is with on the Internet probably within 15 to 20 minutes, and people start talking. Yours is really on a, a, a national scale of people talking about someone that was really close to you. How how does how do you deal with or, or do you even look at it of what is out there said about your son on the internet? Can you read those things? What do you say to that person that sits back? That are you compelled to glance at it, or is it best just to walk away and not read it? Um, I don't get on any sites that. You know, like Reddit and um, Facebook pages that were very negative toward Christian. I mean, I've, I've always said I pretty much got to get on Justice for Christian and one other group, and that's it. The problem is, is people feel compelled to tell you what is being said. And so I would get screenshots sent to me, you know, saying, and I mean, and they did it in, with good intentions, thinking that I, I needed to know. I would read them sometimes, and sometimes I would just not not read them because it got to the point to where, you know, there were very vindictive and um, harsh things being said. I've been told you cannot defame a deceased person, which I feel is ridiculous, but just out lies you know about christian and i just had to step back from that because it will it will cause you to be angry and upset all the time and quite frankly want to lash out and um you know it's just better to just not know and that would be my recommendation to anyone that maybe has a situation where things are being put out there i mean you've lost your child you don't what kind of person 
sits there and trashes someone who's not there to defend themselves and knowingly is upsetting the family who's lost their child. Now, if the shoe was put on the other foot and they lost a child or their child and I did the same thing, I would be a terrible person. But, I mean, I would never do that. I don't care who you are, how much I dislike you. I'm not going to talk about hard enough on the family without putting that out there. You know, and I think all those events shape you as a person. You know, all the different things I can see myself, my me personally changing as a person because you become more, you know, distrustful and more uh, guarded and, and more controlling because you want to control everything around you to make sure that people don't get hurt. You know, I, th- I think that it will be a long time before I forgive myself for, I always say, not protecting Christian more. Um, now, how I would have done that, I don't know, and I know that's illogical of me to think that, but I always say that, I, you know, um, I should have found a way to protect him more. I'm sensing that you feel a little guilty in some shape, form, or way over all of this. I think that as a parent, when you lose a child, that that is probably one of the the hurdles to cross is that, you know, feeling like it's okay to be happy, to have a happy moment, to have a happy holiday, to have a, you know, I think that I know for myself, I, I feel guilty if I have too good of a day or if, you know, I catch myself laughing too much, you know, what is too much? And it's all kind of everybody's uh, uh, interpretation, I guess. But I, I think that that is probably one thing that keeps people from moving on is that the guilt of I shouldn't feel okay. You know, I've lost my child. And, and I don't know, I've never lost a spouse. I've never lost, well, I have lost a parent. I have lost my mother passed away. But I just didn't have that like I have with, with losing Christian. Obviously, I mourned my mother and still grieve my mother because she was a wonderful person. But it's a different type of grief. Uh, you know, with holidays coming up, I think that that is always tough on anyone, especially when you have a child that is not there. And I know that my uh, weakness or my whatever that always gets me is Christmas time and the stockings. We always we put Christian stocking up, just you know. And up until last year was the first year that I didn't buy stuff for Christian for Christmas, and um, I didn't last year. I will this year because last year it was like everybody didn't know what to do. They avoided the stocking, you know, that was left on the mantle while everybody else's was down on the couch. That was just kind of our little routine. And so, um, you know, it really put a, uh, uh, I hate to use the word damper, but it just put this kind of very heavy feeling that morning I can remember. And then the guilt that I felt that, well, I didn't, buy them anything and so um to some people that may sound crazy that you're buying you're spending money on somebody they'll never no. get it but you know it's like, so anyway we'll have we'll he'll have something in his stocking this year tell me this when is it and and i and with your job what do you tell people when is it okay to have a good day to smile and to to move on and to know that they're they're okay when, when is it okay to 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 let yourself go 
Well, or, from a professional standpoint, I would say, again, everybody, that's at their own time and, and space. Um, I think that, you know, some people have a, a, a great ability to, again, accept. I think it comes down to faith. It comes down to um, your belief system. It probably comes down a lot to the the relationship you had at the time, you know, with your child. I, I think that it would be wonderful for people to be able to, you know, at the funeral, say, you know, smile and laugh and say, you know, my my child would, would want me to be happy. But I think that's very few and far between. Reality is a write. different. Mm-hmm. Yes, but no, I don't think there's any given time or, or, or length of, you know, everybody travels at their own speed. I see you as a woman that this will never end until, like the name of your site, Justice for Christian happens. Is is that the way you you view it? Oh, yes. This chapter never yes. ends. I'll be here 20 years from now still doing this if there hasn't been some closure uh, to, to my satisfaction, you know, not to the satisfaction of the powers that be. It, I mean, I, I just think that, you know, again, my situation is different than a lot of others that – I would feel like I had given up on Christian or I had betrayed him if I just one day woke up and said, you know, I'm tired of this fight and I'm just going to quit and, um, you know, let's close down Justice for Christian and move on. Um, I just I don't see that ever happening. But as you said before, uh, there's a lot about Christian where he helps others. This this is so worldwide. And, the li- and you probably have no idea how many lives that – that Christian has touched by telling his story to others. Very, yes, very true. And that, and there's comfort in that. And then there's, you know, I get messages all the time from people who say the same thing happened 15 years ago to my brother, and I was too young to do anything at the time. And now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not going to pursue anything in my brother's case, but. Knowing that you are pursuing, you know, something with Christian and trying to get justice, it almost makes me feel better about they, they my live brother. Through yeah, you. right. And so, um, I mean, you know, we're just people wanting advice. You know, this this happened in Georgia or wherever, and they're telling me this. Who do you think I should go talk to? So it's it's being able to help people again, whether it's about giving them some advice. I mean, I, I get told someone in California. You know, sent me a message right after the podcast came out and said, you know, I lost my son. He was 17 years old. He had gone to a party, you know, good kid, was getting a soccer scholarship and was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Somebody brought in a gun, gun went off. He was in the way. Um, and she said, you know, I just don't know what to do. And I said, start a some type of nonprofit. And whatever he, you know, find something that meant something to him and get out there and start raising money. And it doesn't matter if it's $50 or $50,000, you're doing something. And, you know, six months later, her boyfriend contacted me and said that meant all the difference in the world. I couldn't get her out of bed. The very next day after she had that conversation with you, she got up. She started researching how to open up a nonprofit. And he said she's... You know, she's up and working, and so, you know, just being able to help people. 
for the person that's listening to this and going through the loss of a child, is there any one thing that you could say that got you through this, that this made me stronger? Is there any advice that you could give to that person? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I think the pat answer would be, or I say pat answer, the answer that, you know, the expectant answer would be, you know, faith and family. Um, and I think that those are big. Those are huge things, and those are the only things that some people need. I think for me, again, it was more about finding something that focuses you and makes you feel like you're honoring the person that you've lost. And I think it's always good to be helping people. And if you can do a marriage of all of that, um, it gives you purpose. If you don't have purpose, you're going to lay there and, and... you know, basically wither up and die yourself. Whether you're living and breathing, you're not really living. So I think that at the end of the day, it never hurts to help another person. Help somebody along the way. Do something good is what mm-hmm. you're saying. And uh, where to uh, Justice for Christian? Tell us uh, tell us a little bit more about that, how people can go to it. Uh, is it on Facebook? Where else can it be found? Where, the, where can they get information on that? Uh, Justice for Christian is a Facebook. It's just a, a support group, basically, um, for that was started years ago um, by actually some of Christian's friends, and then I kind of assumed it later on, years later. We have close to twenty thousand members all over the world. We post pictures of Christian and pictures of wishing night and discuss any developments that may occur in his case. And um, it's really, I've always said that Justice for Christian is 100% a support group. It's not a, you know, come there and discuss the legal legalities of the, the case or anything. It's about just remembering Christian, supporting his family, and and basically that encourages us to keep going. Well, thank you for uh, for sharing some time with me. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you. Scott McQuaig joins us uh, back again. Scott, we've heard f- from so many people this today of how they've dealt with their loss of a loved one. And for each person, as you mentioned a while ago, it, it, it's tough. Everybody interprets it and takes it differently. My question for you at this point, how many years has it been since your son passed home? It was seven years in November. Would you say that it gets easier at any point? It's always there. It doesn't. It doesn't get easier per se still miss him terribly see things every day that remind me of him thinking about him every day you don't ever get over it you learn how to deal with it you know and and go on you know but you never get over it you're not gonna there's not some magical answer that's gonna make you feel better you uh, you put your trust in the lord pray for guidance you just learn how to go on. Life is going to be different. Let me ask this, because you're, you're a songwriter, and you put your thoughts, emotions into your music. What song is it that Scott McQuaig has written that you go back that makes you smile if you're in a bad mood, if you're fearing, feeling a little dreary, that you'll sit down and play that you've written that makes you go, yeah, that made, made me feel good? Uh, probably 32nd Street is one of my favorite ones that I've written. Um, it gives me a... It gives me a good feeling because it kind of reminds me of my childhood and my grandparents. And it's kind of written with a perspective from my grandparents' house. 
over by old Popper Springs School. That song makes me feel good. And of course, a lot of the gospel songs that I've written, uh, they're like, they're gifts. I mean, they come down. It makes you feel good. Well, since uh, we all sort of need a uplifting, would you do 30 <laughs> Second Street yeah, for us? Yeah. Every now and then I get in my car and go back again to a place where times are good. That old neighborhood, a square block or two, where I grew up without a single clue. Back where I used to sleep. 32nd Street Wide eyed little faces glued to a TV screen Watching everything come true in your wildest dreams Sleeping on the porch at night in a summer southern heat All these things I see come back to me 32nd Street Dad said grace and I felt a trace a few things I would have to face Farther on down the line Just a matter of time The times have changed We've rearranged everything we do And it's not the same And I'm feeling obsolete On 32nd Street Now I watch the evening news and stare in disbelief. The nightmares in your living room have become familiar scenes. Lock your doors and windows tight and pray yourself to sleep. All these things I seek are buried. Second Street Wide-eyed little faces glued to a TV screen Watching everything come true in your wildest dreams Sleeping on the porch at night in a summer southern heat all these things I see come back to me, 32nd Street. Even now and then, I get in my car and go back again. 
Scott McQuig in 32nd Street. And uh, a little inspiration kind of makes us all smile there to go back in time to a place that, that does bring a smile. It does. Uh, well, everybody has a 32nd Street. I want to say thank you, Scott, for coming by and sharing your story because I know that's hard to relive those moments again. Well, you learn how to deal with it. And, you know, sometimes people will say something about Hunter and uh, and then I say, I don't mean to make you feel sad. And I said, no, if you never said anything about him, it would make me feel sad. I, I love talking about Hunter. You know, he... uh it was very special. I'll still find out things that he did. And people will come and tell me things that he did for him or something like that. That, And I still dream about him. You know, I, I think it's God's way. Give me little gifts. I'll have dreams about him. And sometimes he'll be eight years old. Sometimes he'll be 20, you know. And every time I have one of those dreams, I, I, I think God has just kind of gave me a little, it's like a little movie. You know, and I get to spend time with him almost. And so, no, I never feel uh, it always does me great to talk about Hunter. And uh, I can't wait to see him again. Terry, we do want to thank everybody that come spoke to us. It it, it was very heartfelt. And uh, you, going back, talking about things that bring pain to you is sometimes hard to talk about. We take for granted that we have people that are going through these types of things, especially during the Christmas holidays. We get caught up in our own little world, and we don't realize there are people out there that are struggling to get through the holidays because for them, it signifies sadness. You know, you have to be real honest over this because it is it is such a serious subject. There's some people that never get over this, and it, it can lead to suicide because they just can't make it without that loved one, that it, it ruins their life. It, it does, but I think there's some encouragement, and I want to thank all of our guests for doing that because I think what they have shown is how they have moved through this despair and how they are trying to use their grief and the experiences that they've had to show others how you can get through this. But it's tough. You, you never forget it. And as as Ray is one of the things that she brought out was do a fundraiser in honor of your child, something that they believed in, raise money to help someone else. And it gives you a reason to live to help another person. Absolutely. And I think it goes it, it's a reminder to us to always be thinking of others during this challenging time. And if that's nothing but to make two minutes out of your day, make a phone call to somebody. Let them know you're thinking about them and you love them. Because... While this is a happy time for most of us, again, for some, it's it's a real struggle and it's real sadness. Don't forget them. Today, we heard from three different parents whose children touched so many lives. Through their stories, we live through their sorrows and struggles in hopes that it'll help someone with their journey. Remember, in your darkest hour, you're not alone. Just ask for his help. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and will continue to listen more. We promise to provide stories that intrigue you, provide a little humor, reflect our heritage and culture, whether it's strange and alarming. Please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Let us know whether you liked or disliked. Do you have a story to share? If so, we'd like to hear from you. Please email us at comments at secretsfromthesouth.com and provide a brief description of your story along with contact information and we'll be in touch. Until next time, well, you know a secret, well, even though others are gone, they still live on through you.